Everybody got that? It looked, there we go. Looked like three people coming. All right. Workday Saturday. Ed Worth has calendars. Youth ages 12 and up invited encouraged stay after morning service for lunch, fellowship, and door-to-door witnessing. And then uh, there's a sign-up sheet. People uh, bring meals for the Depersias to help out during Pat's uh, surgeries. So that's in the notebook in the vestibule. Is that correct? All right. Very good. Okay, in our Bibles this morning, let's turn to, well, we've got a number of places to turn our Bibles this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, John 10, and 1 John 5. We'll start three places in the Bible. Isaiah 9, John 10, and 1 John chapter 5. And I'll enjoy listening to the turning of those pages. So you can look and see what the Bible actually says. Isaiah 9, John 10, 1 John chapter 5. Now, we've been studying together what the Bible says about the names and titles of Jesus Christ. And as I said last week and have said so often, if you you come once a month, we're happy that you're here. If you come Sunday mornings and and that's, that's enough for you, we're happy that you're here. But... We, we study these things in their sequence, and one lesson builds upon another, and one provides information that is necessary for the next one. It's almost like, almost like going to school. Uh, you wouldn't want your children to miss two out of every three days of school. Uh, they, they, what they missed the two days they were out would put them at a great disadvantage on day number four. Uh, if you had a cell phone and, and somebody called you and they said, I have an emergency, I need to speak to you, and you said, yes, go ahead, and only one out of every three words came through, but two out of three words cut out, you'd say, oh no, I, I'm missing two-thirds of the message. And that's what, that's what it's like if you come Sunday morning, but you're not here Sunday night or Thursday night. You're, you're getting part of the message, but you're not getting enough to get, get the full message. So, so we're not saying you have to come, we're just encouraging you to do it. And I say that because some of what we're saying this morning depends upon what we said last Sunday night and what we said a week or so ago on a Thursday night. And so we can't go back over all of that, but, but let's start here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's how the Bible starts. That's how life starts. When you're ready for your life to start, that's where your life will start. It'll start with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God, we're going to look at this morning... Uh, his, he has many, 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 many names, but among them is Everlasting Father. And interestingly enough, the name Everlasting Father is a name given to the Son of God, not God the Father, which is a curious thing indeed. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born. That's the babe in Bethlehem, born of Mary the Virgin. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So I don't know what you read on the internet this week or heard on the nightly news, but that's where we're headed. Sooner or later, the government will be born upon the shoulder of that son that was born in Bethlehem. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
Then the Bible says in John chapter 10, John chapter number 10, Jesus says, start verse 25, and Jesus answered them. Verse number 30, this is part of the answer of Jesus, I and my Father are one. What was the response? Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. They wanted to kill him for claiming equality with God the Father. Now, one more verse, one more verse, and this is our foundation. We're just laying the foundation here. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, I'm going to start reading verse number 6. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three, this is verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You know, there are many books in a bookstore, and they have, they have the name Bible on the front, but they don't have 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7 in their, in their text. They have taken half of verse 6 and put a 7 in front of it so people wouldn't know they had left out verse number 7. They took verse 7 out, they, they'll say, they said, well, it's not, in, it's not in some of the manuscripts, the Greek manuscripts in which we got our, our translation. It don't, there are 5,400 Greek manuscripts in existence. Two of them do not contain 1 John 5.7. 5,398 agree with your Bible, two do not. And somebody took the verse out because it wasn't in those two manuscripts. One is, one is called the Vatican Manuscript. That's interesting, isn't it? So, so here's what our Bible says. The, the, the son that was born to Mary at Bethlehem is to be called the Everlasting Father. That son, Jesus Christ, said, in no uncertain terms, I and my Father are one. And then the Holy Scripture, to clarify, says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, men answer that. They respond to that. And they say, well, I, uh, this, I've heard of this God that is a trinity, but I, I don't understand how one plus one plus one could be, could be three. You don't add them together. The manifold glory of God is one times one times one times one which equals one. There is one God. He is manifest as the Father, the invisible creator of all things, the Son made visible, creator of the heavens and the earth, and the Holy Spirit who moves about in, in the hearts of men, drawing them, convicting them, convincing them to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now people say, well, I don't understand that. Well, there's much we don't understand about life and about this world. But let's turn the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Got to give you a lot of scripture because people haven't heard the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says. They think church is a place of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And, and we'll get to all of that. But if you don't know God, it doesn't matter to you what he says. It doesn't matter to anybody what he says. You've you got to know him before you can have a relationship with him. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 1. 
this God who created all things, the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in Genesis 1, verse 26, And God, hate to bring up English on a Sunday morning, and God, that is singular. It's not God's, it's God, one God. And God said, let us, that's plural. See, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, these three are one. God said, let us make man, singular, that's a man, in our, our, plural, image, and in our, plural, likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. All right, now stop, we got a problem. If God, and, and we're back where we were last Sunday night, if God made man in his image, and God made a man, male, and a woman, female, which of them is in the image of God? Both. Because God didn't make man so you could know how tall God is. God didn't make man so you could know what color God's skin was or, or whether or not God was, was rotund or, or skinny. God made man, God, singular, said let us, plural, make man, singular, in our plural image. You say, I'm confused. You won't be in a second. Hang in there. God did not make man to look like God. John 4, 24, God is a spirit. 1 Timothy 1, 17, the invisible God. So when God made man in his own image and he could make both a male and a female in the image of God, that image has to be something more than meets the eye. Every, every man on the face of this earth today, black, white, brown, red, yellow, and various uh, colors in between, they all came from this man and this woman that God made in the garden. That's, a, that's an absolute fact. They did, they did a study here a few years ago, this, this biologist, and, and uh, you know, we believe, they say we believe in science, not the Bible. So they went around the world and they, took, they, took, they did DNA testing from 147 different people, all of a different race or ethnicity, uh, they, they, they tried to get as wide a sample as they could, 147 people around the world, and every one of them, their DNA code showed they came from the same ancestor. Well, we could have saved them a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of travel expense, just by reading what the Bible says. Now, science and the Bible don't often agree but when science finishes their experiments, science and the Bible always agree. And that's just, that's just a, a fact of the matter. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 unravels or, or ravels, because it doesn't unravel, it puts it together, so it ravels the mystery. 1 <laughs> Thessalonians 5, verse number 23, the Bible says, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Now, that's, two, that's a W and two L's. It's not holy like be a holy person. It's completely, it's entirely, it's all of you. 
He's praying that every bit of you will be sanctified to God. Explain. I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are made, I am made in the image of God. But we all look so different, yes, but the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost, who are one, made you a spirit and a soul and a body, and you are one. Now, if you don't understand how God can be a trinity, you don't understand how you can be a trinity. But you and I, made in the image of God, we are a triune being. You are hearing me today with your ears. You are understanding me today with your mind. You are responding to me today with your spirit. They are entirely different. Your eardrum has no emotion. Your, your mind has no tears to shed and no shout of joy to express. Your ear physically takes in the words from another man's mouth. Your mind processes that and decides what to do with it. And then your spirit expresses a response to that thing. You are a trinity. You're made in the image of God. So it is, if, if a man would take the time, will and take the time to consider themselves and the marvel of what it is to be human, to be more than just flesh, to be more than just a body. Come on, you can't have worked with, with people. You can't have worked with those in afflictions or, or in... in uh, states of, of semi-consciousness or, or with children and, and not know that there's more to man than a body. We communicate with one another without words. We, we understand one another by expressions and gestures and, and frowns and smiles and, and the mere flicker of an eye can indicate one thing or another. That is not physical. It lies beyond the realm of flesh and bone and blood and body parts. In this evolutionary madness where people think themselves nothing more than animals, they are left without hope. They are left without relationships. They are left without joy. And we'll see that in just a moment. So, it is, it is not difficult for... The, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to say, I a man walking upon the earth, and my Father, the invisible God sitting on the throne in heaven, are one. And to have men so convicted in their hearts by the, the pointing finger of the Holy Spirit that they want to take up stones and stone Him, while others want to follow Him for the rest of their life and enjoy the love and the joy and the peace that comes from a relationship with Him. Now how is it that a group of people with physical ears hear Jesus say, I and my Father are one, and some want to follow Him the rest of their life and some want to kill Him. Because there's more to man than a physical body. And there's more to God than a physical body. Jesus is God, but He's not all there is of God. God sits in heaven unseen, but that's not all there is of God. The Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. 
Now, let's turn in the Bible to Psalm 53. Psalm number 53. And I'm going to read something. This is why we want to turn and read these things in the Bible, because sometimes people get offended and they say, well, that preacher, that preacher said, and the preacher didn't say it, he just read it. God said it. The Word of God, the Holy Bible says, now watch carefully, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I'm not calling anyone a fool. But the Bible says it is a foolish position for one to adopt that there is no God. And here's why it's foolish. You might, one of your children might have an allergy to peanuts. That's a pretty common thing nowadays, they tell me, that, that people have peanut allergies. And so what you do is you go through your home and you check all the labels and you get everything out of your house that contains nuts. It's all gone. The peanut butter's gone. The granola's gone. The all, it's all gone. And then you say, you look through your house and you find no peanuts, nothing with peanut ingredients whatsoever, and then you announce to the world, there are no peanuts. No, there's no peanuts in your house. You got all the peanuts out of your house. That doesn't mean there aren't any peanuts. That just means you don't have any. Now, the fool says, I don't want to believe in God. I've had some terrible things happen in my life, and I just couldn't accept that there's a God, or these things wouldn't have happened, or, or I, I went to college, and, and some, some professor talked me out of my faith in God, so I got God out of my heart. Well, nobody's denying that. But it's a foolish thing to then announce to the world, there is no God. Just because you got God out of your heart didn't make Him disappear. It didn't make Him go away. There's still a God. He's just not in your heart. Now, we're not saying that to insult anybody. We're not saying that to be critical of anybody. Some people have gone to great lengths to get God out of their heart. But then they want the rest of the world to agree with them. And we're not going to agree with you. There is, there is just too much undeniable evidence for the existence of God, and there is too much benefit in our lives that, that comes from knowing God for us to join you. Sorry you're allergic to peanuts. I'm going to eat peanut butter. I'm, I, I can't eat shellfish. I am so allergic to shellfish. If I go in a restaurant that is boiling shrimp, the steam will make me sick. Well, that doesn't mean there's no shrimp in the world doesn't mean you can't have lobster just because I can't. And the fact that some professor down at Stetson has gotten God out of his life and is trying to get God out of the lives of his students doesn't mean that everybody else has to roll over and pretend that God is dead. He's not. He's alive and well and saving souls and blessing lives and giving hope to millions. Praise the Lord. Now, let's turn the Bible. Well, no, before we turn, look at Psalm 53. There's a result. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. 
There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, let's reason together. You're an intelligent person. I'm trying to be an intelligent person. Let's see if we can have an intelligent conversation here in discussion. I can understand if someone took the life of one of your loved ones and that tragedy caused you to stop believing in God. But the person who took the life of your loved one violated God's command, thou shalt not kill. What turns you against God was someone who was against God. You are siding with the killer against the only one who has told mankind not to kill. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe you married somebody in a church and then they were unfaithful to you and, and you prayed about that thing and, and the unfaithful partner just, they went on in their, in their infidelity and they, they broke your heart and they ruined your life and you turned against God. God said, thou shalt not commit adultery. You're siding with the person who hurts you. You're joining them in being against God. It's God who would have prevented that from happening if your spouse would have only believed Him. You see, this world, they have a God who says, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or spouse or property. All of that, they refuse God. Then they get life without God, which is killing, lying, stealing, adultery. And then they blame God for it. Or they say, well, there couldn't be a God or all this wouldn't be happening. No, what's happening is the more people drive God out of their heart, the more killing you're going to have, the more raping you're going to have, the more molesting you're going to have, the more stealing you're going to have. That's the result of saying in your heart, there is no God. And then, but then what happens, see, since the devil's got such a great propaganda machine... When you see all this crime and all this violence, people in a town decide, well, the problem is those ten Christians that are preaching about Jesus. That must be what's wrong with our town. Seriously? There's, every day you pick up the Orlando Sentinel, somebody got shot. It wasn't by us. Every day you pick up that paper, some woman's disappeared and they can't find her body. We didn't do that. Who did that? The crowd that doesn't believe in God. Now, I can show you that. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It gets, it gets even more serious. Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians 2. And verse number 12. Ephesians 2.12. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Having no hope, and without God in the world. Now here's the situation in which we find ourselves. The Bible says of this one God, who came in the form of man, they called his name Jesus. 
He said, not only say I and my Father are one, but as we've seen in past lessons, He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the sun, moon, and stars. God created the plant life and the animal life and the fish in the sea and the fowl in the heaven. It's all spelled out in the Bible. And then God created man. Correct? God put man in this beautiful garden, gave him everything he ever wanted, everything he ever needed, said, don't eat that one fruit. Just stay away from that. If you eat that fruit, sin's going to enter the world. Death by sin, death will pass upon all men. And you have all the sorrow and trouble and heartache and everything else. Man didn't believe God. He ate the fruit. And here we are. Okay? Now, with all of this violence and all this crime and all this heartache and all this killing, as a Christian, as bad as it gets, my life's much, much better than the lives of many that I know. My life's been good. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not paralyzed this morning. I'm not... I'm not Crippled and broken down this morning. I'm not fighting cancer this morning. I don't. All, listen, kids aren't in prison. All that. Listen, God's been good to me, but I have trouble in my life. You have trouble in your life. We have heartaches in life. You have heartaches in life. We have grief and sorrow in life. You have grief and sorrow in life. But the God, listen, as bad as it gets, the God who is my beginning is waiting for me at my end. I have. Hope of eternal, everlasting life, if it never gets any better here, it's going to be better there. Now listen, if you don't believe in God, if you believe in God and you don't receive His Son, Jesus Christ, that's not going to make your trouble go away. That's not going to make your sorrow go away. That's not going to make your grief go away. Saying, I don't believe in God is not going to dry your tears and it's not going to bring, your ha- bring you happiness. All it's going to do is rob you of whatever hope you could have had that the future will be better than the present. Without God, the Bible says, there is no hope. Can you imagine... Now, we go, we go into nursing homes and hold church services for people in the rest homes, and we sing with them, and we pray with them, and we visit with them, and we, we try to comfort their hearts. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to do that. I, I hope you'll come and see me when I'm in there. And, and can you imagine going to that rest home and, and taking the hand of a, of a lady? She, she's, just, she's just gone there. She just moved in that rest home. She's still healthy, but not healthy enough. Her mind is still sound, but not sound enough. And there she is. And you go in and you sit across from her and you take her by the hand and say, Well, Darwin says you'll be nothing but dirt soon. Can you imagine that? That's why the only people who who visit in nursing homes are Christians. Professors who teach evolution don't go there. Because they'd be ashamed to go tell those old people in those rest homes what they tell their students in the classroom. You have no hope. There's nothing waiting for you but a dirt nap. Now, it doesn't sound so bad when you're spouting that off to 22-year-old kids. But it sounds pretty awful when you're telling it to grandma. 
You know, if you don't believe in God and you don't know God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have any hope. This things in this country aren't going to get any better. The crime's not going to get any better. The treatment of women is not going to get any better. The treatment of our seniors is not going to get any better. Come on. What hope do you have? Look, if you're here tonight or this morning, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I just try. That's my job. Try to get people think who just watch TV all day. Got to try to snap you out of it. Do, do you not understand that a society? that views a child in the womb as a life that can be legitimately taken because it cannot live on its own. When they run out of money for medical care, what are they going to do to your grandmother who cannot live on her own? What are they going to do to your grandfather who cannot live on his own? What are they going to do to your child who is handicapped, who cannot live on his own? They're going to do exactly what they're doing to the babies. Why? Because there's no God at their beginning and there's no God at their end and they have no hope. I'm telling you, once you get God out of your heart, with what are you going to replace Him? Whatever you replace Him with will not offer you any hope whatsoever that this life is going to get better or that there is any life to come. What a miserable thing. It's no wonder people who don't believe in God have to spend so much of their income on alcohol and narcotics and amusement because they're desperately trying to find something to give them the joy that God would have given them. And the peace that God would have given them. And the happiness that God would have given them. And without, to, without God, they've got to try and find it somewhere else. And it can't be found anywhere else. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're given a set of options here. Jesus Christ is called the everlasting Father. Here's why. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, since we're a long way from farm life in our society, the only yoke most people know of is a, an egg yoke, and that's, that's a different spelling and a different word. This yoke is the, is the harness of sorts into which one would place a, a, a one animal or two animals or a number of animals in order to pull a plow or to pull a piece of machinery. Okay, that yoke. And the Lord says... On this side of the yoke, if you put a believer, and on this side of the yoke, if you put an unbeliever, you couldn't plow with that team because what the unbeliever has and what the believer have are so radically different, you'll never plow a straight line. Well, let's see what they have. The, ver the passage goes on to say, For what fellowship hath righteousness, that's doing what's right. So you put that on one side. With unrighteousness, that's doing what's not right, so you put that on the other side. Or, or and what communion hath light, so we put that on one side. Uh, with darkness, we put that on the other side. And what concord hath Christ, put that on one side. With Belial, you put that on the other side. What part hath he believeth? Uh, with an infidel. What agreement hath the temple of God? With idols. Okay, so here's what I've got. If I say yes to God, 
I enjoy in my life and in the company that I keep righteousness, light, the loving Christ, people who believe in God and respond to His directions, and I have a God who's living, a living God, a real God. On the other side, if I say no to God and no to Jesus Christ, I have unrighteousness. How come every man and woman I know does me wrong? Because they don't believe in God. <laughs> How come every, every agreement I enter into, it, I get ripped off because you're enter, entering into a yoke with people who don't know God? Unrighteousness, darkness, Belial. So aren't there a lot of gods and aren't there? Oh, sure there are. There's the God of the suicide vest, the the suicide bomber's vest. There's the God who burns widows on the funeral pyre with her dead husband. There's a God who throws babies in the river to drown them. Sure, there's all kinds of other gods. But Christ died for our sins. He's not asking you to kill people or kill your family or kill your baby to keep him from burning your crops down. It's a different God. And the infidel has idols. When you're broken hearted and when you're sad and when you're down in the dumps, you can turn on Willie Nelson and listen to him sing, but he's he's not going to come and comfort you. That's all you got. When you're lonely and depressed, you can turn on the ball game, but when the team wins the game, they're not going to send you a cut of the check. You don't have a living God. You have a substitute for God that can't come in your time of need and in your hour of trouble and provide you any real help. So we read on. One agreement at the temple of God with idols. For ye are the temple of the living God as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Who's the them? The unrighteous, darkness, Belial, infidel, idols, be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now look, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I will be a father unto you. It's very, very difficult to teach Bible Christianity in our society. How many people are growing up today And those words, I will be a father unto you, means nothing to them. They didn't have a father. They had someone who, you know, was the cause of their being born, the cause of their mother being pregnant, but but they never knew a father. How many others have a man who's, who's in the place of father? But because he doesn't know the God who is love, he doesn't love his children. Because he doesn't know the God who is grace, he's not gracious to his children. Because he doesn't know the God who is merciful, he's not merciful to his children. And so you hear all these horror tales about what someone's dad did. But God says to you in this passage, I want to be a father who is righteous. I want to be a father who is light. I want to be a father who is a 
protector and a provider and who will never leave you and never forsake you. And all these things we've been learning and studying about Jesus Christ. He said, I want to be. Listen, I want to be what the men who caused you to not believe in me failed to be. Look, if you had a father that forsook you or worse, if you had a father who didn't care for you or worse, I understand you saying, I couldn't believe in God after what I've been through. What you've been through is a result of men who didn't believe in God. God wants to be what you wanted them to be. God wants to be to you what they were supposed to be to you. He said, come, it's not too late for you to have a father. It's not too late for you to have somebody who loves you the right way. It's not too late to have somebody come into your life who will not mistreat you, but will bless you. I want to be a father unto you. And some people have, have no idea what that means. But you'd sure love it if you ever found out. A father is supposed to be a protector. That's what God will be. A father is supposed to be a provider. That's what God will be. A father is supposed to be someone you can always count on. That's what God will be. A father is supposed to be someone who will absolutely correct you when you are wrong but only for your benefit and never for your hurt. And that's what God will be. A father is supposed to be someone you can trust absolutely every moment of every day of your life. And that's what God wants to be to you. And I understand that because of what men have done, it causes people to not believe in God. But God is what they should have been. God is what you expected them to be. Let me put it this way. People say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe there's any God. I just think everybody should be free to do their own thing. You don't believe that. You don't believe that. Because if someone steals from you and you believe that, it shouldn't bother you at all. Because they're just doing what they wanted to do. They're just doing their own thing. Why don't you just live and let live? Let them steal from you. Well, it's not right to steal from me. Who says it's not? Not Darwin. Darwin didn't say thou should not steal. God did. The very fact that if someone took your husband or took your wife or took your property or punched you in the face or burned your house down and you said, that's not right, you're crying out for God. You say, well, society says, they don't all say that. <laughs> society doesn't say that. Society says that as long as things are going the way they want it to go. Let's suppose you were in Syria right now. Doesn't society say you shouldn't kill people? Well, aren't they shooting each other with guns and rockets and throwing bullets at each other and hand grenades and sticks and rocks and chemical gas and everything else? Well, they, they have a society. I bet the laws of their society say you're not supposed to kill people. But without God... 
What's wrong? They shouldn't be doing that. Who says? They're just doing their own thing. They're doing what they want to do. Just live and let live. (laughs) Die and let die. You can't be offended by unrighteousness if you're not longing for righteousness. You can't be offended by darkness if you're not longing for light. I'm telling you, what you're looking for is that peanut butter you, you threw out of your house. What you're looking for is that shrimp and lobster that you can't have on the table anymore. Just because you got rid of God doesn't mean He's not there. And what has come in to fill the vacuum that was left when you put God out of your heart, you've got to admit it's not been very pleasant. There's no joy there. There's no satisfaction there. There's no contentment there. And most of all, there's no hope there. You know what a Christian can do? When our loved ones, when somebody comes and says, Aunt Betty has got cancer. You know what we do? We pray. And we ask the Lord to heal her. But as we do, we know that we know when we're praying that 10 out of every 10 people die. We're hoping that she won't yet. But we know that she will. So we pray and we say, God, if it's your will, and we'd love to have her around for a long, long time, and and we we sure would miss her if she was gone. It's all selfish because she's going to go to heaven, but selfishly, we don't want her to leave because she makes such great apple pie, and she's so much fun at holiday times and all. Please, God, let her live. Let her stay down here and cry some more. Let her stay down here and and go through some more troubles and trials and sorrows. Please, God, don't take her to heaven. (laughs) It's all selfish. And she doesn't get well. And so we go to comfort her and to cheer her heart. And we're grieved because we love her. And, and, we, and when we, we go from a visit, we say, oh, it's just awful to see the pain she's in and, and, and all that sickness. And, and Lord, please help her. And, and we want her to get well because we love her and we care for her. And then the news comes. She's gone. And you know what we do? Christians, you know what we do? We gather in a church and we sing songs of praise to God and we, and we say prayers of thanksgiving to the Lord and we say to everybody that's saved, in just a little while we'll all be reunited. And those of you that have lost your aunt or your sister or your... You'll see your loved one again. We have hope. Because we have a God who's eternal. We have a God who's everlasting. He's not just the beginning, He's the end. He's not just the Alpha, He's the Omega. Now you tell me the alternative. Aunt Betty's got cancer. Let's hope she lives 120 million years to evolve beyond the cancer gene. That's probably not going to happen. And then when she dies, let's try our best to just forget all about it. Because there's no more of Aunt Betty than there was that bunny rabbit that we had when we were seven years old. I'm telling you, you put God out of your heart, you got nothing left. This world is too cold, it's too dark, it's too full of trouble, there are too many tears for you to try and get through this thing without God.
And I'm sorry, I am sorry for what some preacher might have done that caused you to not believe in God. I'm sorry for what some church people might have done to cause you to not believe in God. But what they did, they did in disobedience to God. So you can't blame God for that. That's not God. That's man. Jesus Christ said, if you'll separate from those unbelievers and join the company of believers, I will be a father unto you. And you know what he's called? He's not just called father. He's called the everlasting father. The everlasting father. Isn't that something? I had a good dad. The longer I live, the better he gets. He, he wasn't so good when I was 16. He would say, because I wasn't so good. <laughs> but you know what? He took care of my mother, provided for her. He took care of us, provided for us. Took us to church, took us to God, took us to school, took us to work. And then one day, one day, death caught up with him and he died. As good a father as I had, I don't have him anymore. He's not there. (laughs) But the day I trusted Jesus, I got a father who doesn't die. Christians never sit around and say, remember when Jesus was here? Remember when God was here? Remember when we used to pray to God and He'd answer our prayers? There's no birth date. There's no death date. There's no tombstone in any graveyard anywhere for God. Jesus died. He wasn't dead long enough for them to chisel His name on the stone. Three days and three nights later, He rose from the dead and said, You can give it back to Joseph. I won't need that again. you got an everlasting Father if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you're here today, you may have never been saved. You may have never become a Christian. It's not rules. It's not regulations. My dad had rules, and he had regulations. What a small part of a relationship that is. Very small part of it. You need God. You need Him now. You're sure going to need Him when you die. Hope you'll come to know Him. They called His name Jesus. He saves His people from their sins. Father... What a blessing to call you that.